Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. X28. Number 3A. But whereas we experience this Christ operation as a saving, healing, and comforting power when we are consciously willing to yield to it, the same Christ operation appears as strife, suffering, and sorrow in our lives when we try to evade it or even oppose it. Again, it is the same as in arithmetic. When we willingly accept within ourselves the principle of arithmetic, then it translates itself to our specific problem and solves it. But if we put up resistance to the correct rules of arithmetic, they go on working just the same, and then our own reckoning is exposed as false and inaccurate, and this causes us to suffer, and later on to give up our resistance or ignorance. In this, we experience the operation of the arithmetical principle first in a negative way. Similarly, the principle of being is always at work, enforcing itself everywhere through the Christ operation. We feel this process in the one case as a painful experience, in the other as a scientific method of solving our problems as redemption. Either here or hereafter, suffering or science must destroy all illusions regarding life and mind and regenerate material sense and self. 296.6 This also provides the answer to our question as to what becomes of all those who do not turn towards God are they not saved? Even they cannot escape divine salvation. God has a Christ. It is in the very nature of Christ to manifest the divine at all times and in all circumstances, thereby causing that which is ungodlike to disappear. No human resistance can hinder this dynamic, self-expressing energy of the Christ. Anyone who resists the Christ still cannot exclude himself from divine being, which always has within itself the saving aspect of the Christ. But in this case, his human experience takes a different course. Like the Israelites in the day of the judges, he falls into the hands of enemies. He experiences discord of every kind and this condition forces him to seek a new guiding principle. Then he gradually begins to cry unto the Lord, that is, to follow the right life principle. And as to the Israelites, so to him, a deliverer is raised up in his need, 
a judge who leads him into peace. The anger of the Lord. The prophets already knew that the power of the Christ translation lay behind this suffering. They called this process the anger of the Lord. The anger of the Lord is that very power of divine translation which admits of nothing counterfeit, erroneous, or evil, which never allows us to turn to other gods and think them good, positive, and helpful. Whenever the children of Israel turn away from the one God and seek goodness and justice from sources outside this one God, the anger of the Lord is evoked by the prophets. This angry, vengeful God then eradicates and destroys everything that the children of Israel hold dear. But in so doing, he destroys only the false only all that which would keep them from their true universal salvation. Thus, wayward, stiff-necked Israel is to be crushed by the law of God, because, as we read in Nahum, the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. Nahum 1, 2. The adversaries of God always stand for all beliefs which oppose the divine nature, mind, spirit, soul, principle, life, truth, and love. They are the enemies pursued by the anger of the Lord, or the saving power of the Christ. To man in his ignorance it seems as if God has sent the disaster. But from the standpoint of understanding, the same process can be seen as a law of good rejecting evil. When truth destroys error, it may appear to those ignorantly holding on to error as if they themselves are being destroyed. But what is really going on is always the self-destruction of error, the manifestations of evil which counterfeit divine justice are called in the scriptures the anger of the Lord. In reality, they show the self-destruction of error or matter and point to matter's opposite, the strength and permanency of spirit. 293.24 Always when someone experiences great misfortune, we should bear in mind that no other power can be at work but the Christ power, which is forcing mortal thought to give up its beliefs until all error yields and truth prevails. Christ Jesus Christ and Jesus are not identical. Now that we have studied the significance of the Christ as a second great prime factor of being, we are better able to understand what the New Testament means by the frequently used name Christ Jesus. Over the centuries, this expression has led to the misapprehension that Christ and Jesus both allude to the person, Jesus of Nazareth, and that both terms, Jesus and also Christ, may be used interchangeably as a name for Jesus. Christ and Jesus are not synonymous, 
however, but have quite distinct meanings. Christ, the anointed, is the Greek form of the Hebrew title Messiah. The Hastings Bible Dictionary defines the word as appointed and empowered by God through the impartation of his own spirit to become the savior of his people. Christ is thus used in the Bible as a title for that which is appointed and empowered by God. Jesus, on the other hand, is a proper name still used today, which, like all other Hebrew names, has a special meaning, namely, God helps or God saves, hence Jesus' title of Savior. The difference is therefore clear. Jesus is the name of the human Jesus of Nazareth. Christ is a divine title for a certain attitude of mind, the Christ attitude, which consists in making oneself one with the divine nature and thereby letting the saving power of God take effect. Jesus was a corporeal being. Christ is incorporeal. Jesus appeared in the flesh. Christ is spiritual. Jesus was a man and therefore human. Christ is the divine idea. Jesus' human existence was brief. Christ is eternal. Jesus was. Christ is. The Christ attitude is something which any one of us has the right to assume at any time. It is not restricted to any one historical person. In proportion as we so identify ourselves and make ourselves one with God's nature, that the saving power of divine principle can express itself as a healing, helping, liberating power, we have the mind of Christ. And then we too may be said to bear the divine honorary title of Christ. Jesus the Christ. Jesus expressed the Christ nature to such a degree that he could finally lay down his human life and become one with divine life. His life's aim was to work out this complete at one with God. He did not identify himself with corporeal men, nor as Mary's son. Rather, his nature as the Lamb of God caused him to become the Son of God. The Christ nature became more and more clearly manifest in the man Jesus. His God-likeness is therefore best suggested by the name Christ Jesus. He expressed the highest type of divinity, which a fleshly form could express in that age. 332.29 Jesus is defined in the glossary as the highest human corporeal concept of the divine idea, rebuking and destroying error and bringing to light man's immortality. 589 16. The Eternal Christ Christ, the eternal idea of God.
Christ must be understood as an ever-present fact in divine being. Just as Christ did not first come into the world at the birth of the human Jesus of Nazareth, so also it did not leave at Jesus' ascension. The saving power of God, Christ, is rather as we read in Hebrews, the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8 Thus, Jesus, who identified himself so completely with this saving power, could say of himself, Before Abraham was, I am. John 8.58 Not that his bodily form had existed since before Abraham, but the eternal Christ consciousness with which he was at one had done so. Spiritually inspired men have from the beginning had occasional gleams of the Christ idea. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and the prophets caught glorious glimpses of the Messiah or Christ, which baptized these seers in the divine nature, the essence of love. 333-23 but Jesus understood the Christ in full measure. After his ascension, the illuminating power of the Christ manifested itself on the day of Pentecost, and later it was seen by Paul on the road to Damascus. A few decades later, the same Christ caused John to behold his vision on the island of Patmos. The eternality of the Christ is expressed in the last verse of the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew 28:20. 20. Infinite forms of the Christ. Not only is the operation of the Christ power unlimited by time, but it also expresses itself in infinite ways and by infinite means. The Christ reveals itself to every age in just that form which is suited to the general thought and the special needs of the time. It does not necessarily come through a person, as it did in the case of Jesus. The Christ appeared to Abraham, the father of faith, in an age of saga, legend, and visions, in the mythical form of Melchizedek. The epistle to the Hebrews interprets the name Melchizedek as the king of righteousness, king of peace, and describes him as follows, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, and adds that he abideth a priest continually. Hebrews 7, 2, 3 For Abraham the Christ was the true eternal high priest, and therefore not a person. But the recognition that man is spiritual and eternal like his creator. This realization became for Abraham the redeeming Christ idea. 
for the promise that he should become the father of all nations could only be fulfilled if he did not identify himself as the father of Israel, but as father of an Israel after the Spirit. To Moses, the Christ idea, or the idea of redemption, appeared in a new and quite different form, because it had a completely different task to fulfill. The children of Israel had to be let out, out of bondage in Egypt. How could Moses, their spiritual leader, deliver them from thirst on the journey through the wilderness? According to the biblical account, in the desert, Moses struck a rock from which God commanded water to flow. Paul, describing this incident, says that the children of Israel did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.4 The rock, stone, or cornerstone later becomes a symbol for Christ. To Peter, who first recognized who Jesus was, and who could therefore confess, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus declared, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Here, church has the usual New Testament meaning of ecclesia, community. It stands for Christians in general. Matthew 16, 16, 18. In Jesus, the saving Christ's power became visible in the form of a human Savior. But Jesus himself knew that the Christ would later appear to men in a different form, and he also saw that it would not be a person, but the Spirit of Truth. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. John 14.26 John the Revelator recognized this Comforter in his vision of the book sealed with seven seals, which could be loosed only by the Lamb, that is, by the Christ understanding. This vision clearly shows that the Comforter must come to men in the form of teaching, proclaiming the spirit of truth. In the scientific age, Mary Baker Eddy received the Christ revelation and wrote the textbook, which is sealed with the seven synonyms for God. Whoever understands these is able to open the textbook and find in it the science of being which will teach all things. The Christ is thus expressed in a way which is appropriate to our own age, appearing in the form of Christ's science. Chapter 4, Christianity Christianity is true manhood. Christianity is Christ-like doing, the Christ way of acting. The third side of the holy city, Christianity, is defined as the outcome of the divine principle of the Christ idea in Christian history, 
577.16. Christianity, then, is an outcome. How can this outcome be achieved in Christian history, in human experience? It comes about, as we have already seen in our study of the four stages in the solving of a problem, when we turn to the divine principle of being, word, bring ourselves into spiritual unison with it, Christ, and then act and live in agreement with it, Christianity. The outcome of this doing and living then coincides with the Christ attitude. It is as divinely harmonious as the principle of which it is the result. Christianity is the application of the Christ attitude in all areas of life. It signifies that Christ-like doing which produces a Christ-like manifestation. Thus, like the Word and also the Christ, it is a factor of the one divine being and not to be confused with the ordinary use of the term Christianity, which usually suggests Christendom. Christians in general, together with their religion. We cannot reach true Christianity, the third great prime factor of being, until we understand the true meaning of the first factor, Word, and the second factor, Christ. The third factor of being always follows on from the first two factors, we cannot begin with it, but it is the inevitable result of the previous two, as a necessary con consequence of incontrovertible divine order. We cannot help experiencing true Christianity. That is harmonious results. If we begin with divine principle, word, identify ourselves with the nature of this principle, Christ, and act in accordance with this principle in every department of life, Christianity, a higher humanity. In our human experience, the outcome of the divine principle of the Christ idea always shows itself as better manhood, as higher and more perfect humanhood. This is the natural expression of the transformation which takes place in us when we identify ourselves with the Christ attitude and give up all our own desires and objectives so that we let divine principle operate and not our own human principles. In proportion, as we let ourselves be changed by the Christ attitude, or in proportion, as we are one with the Word of God, with the ideas of divine principle, these ideas express themselves, and the standard of our humanhood is raised. In order, therefore, to be able to lead a more rewarding, more successful, and altogether better human life, our first need is to change, not our external circumstances, but only our attitude towards them. It is not primarily a matter of what we do, but of how we do it. 
However, our work may be judged by human standards. The only criterion that matters is the motive with which we do it. If we act in accord with the Word and the Christ, we are carrying out our task in the spirit of true Christianity, and so we shall also obtain a satisfactory result. But if our thinking, feeling, and doing are geared to ungodlike, human, erroneous principles, then our labors earn us only the fruits of these principles, namely sickness, lack, discord, futility, etc. Then we experience mortal manhood, the opposite of true Christianity. Yet man is divinely destined to awake to the fact of his immortality and thereby attain a higher humanity. Thus Christianity, the third factor of being, demands that we should fulfill our true destiny by turning to the word of God and acting in accordance with it through our Christ-like attitude. This is the practical evidence which is asked of us. Every day makes its demands upon us for higher proofs rather than professions of Christian power. 233.1 Mortals and Immortals When we ponder Christianity, we find it to focus as on man and on that which constitutes manhood. Thus it is vital to make a clear distinction between so-called mortal man, the Adam man, and man in God's image and likeness, immortal man. The two biblical records of creation. The Bible raises the great question, what is man, from the very start? In the first record of creation, Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3, man is presented as God's man, as God's image and likeness, as immortal man. In the second record, Genesis 2, 6 to 5, 27, there is a quite different account of creation, one which contradicts the first record in every detail and sets forth the exact opposite of immortal man, the history of mortal, sinning, material man. Thus, the two records of creation open up the fundamental argument of human life and formulate the most vexed of all questions. Is man immortal, divine, eternal, as the first record says? Or is he immortal, material, sinning creation, as the second record declares? All the subsequent books of the Bible try to deal with this problematic question until at last the solution is found. Jesus furnishes the proof that man is the Son of God by overcoming sin, sickness, and death and sitting down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1, 3 Comparison of the two records In the first record of creation, God is called Elohim, which in the Bible has been rendered God. In the second record, deity is called Jehovah, 
translated as the Lord God. Elohim is the spiritual, exalted concept of deity. Jehovah, on the other hand, is the tribal God of Israel, an anthropomorphic God. The word anthropomorphic in such a phrase as an anthropomorphic God is derived from two Greek words signifying man and form and may be defined as a mortally mental attempt to reduce deity to corporeality. 5.17.3 Accordingly, the creations of these two concepts of God, Elohim and Jehovah, are also different. The first record is divine, the second is mythical. The first record begins with light, the second begins with mist, in mystification and obscurity. In the first record, God or Elohim creates everything out of himself. In the second record, God needs the cooperation of matter and man. In the first record, creation comes from above, from supreme perfection. In the second, everything is created from below, from the dust of the ground. In the first record, man is the image and likeness of God. In the second, he is a corporeal sinner, created from matter, led astray by a lie and later cursed. In the first record, man is spiritual and immortal. In the second, he is carnally minded and therefore mortal. In the first record, man is the perfect creation of his perfect creator. In the second, he appears as imperfect, full of pain and sorrow, and is abandoned to destruction. The first record shows the ascending order of the eternal Elohim's creation, leading to the highest perfection. The second record presents the false method of creation, that of the man-projected Jehovah, leading in a descending line to the dissolution of his own creation. Already the very first son of Adam, Cain, went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, Genesis 4:16. Nod means wandering misery. Jehovah's creation thus remains always in misery and has no part in reality. By contrasting them in this way, the Bible from the outset clearly shows that corporeal, material, sinning mankind, the Adam race, has nothing in common with the real man created by Elohim, in his own image and likeness. Throughout the subsequent books of both the Old and New Testaments, there sounds a persistent call to identify ourselves with the perfect concept of man, with the Elohim creation, letting go of the Adam man. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.